Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Tales to Terrify, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Starship Sofa, Crime City Central, and Protecting Project Pulp. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good evening, children of the night. Come in. Come in and know that you are welcome. Welcome to the Nook to Tales to Terrify, and to this Mother's Day Ghost Gather. I'm Lawrence Santoro, and this night is special. So grab a warm or a chilled beverage, snag some treats, settle down with a friend, or be by yourself. Tonight, we're going to take you on a trip into a real haunted space one of the most haunted places in the United States, and we'll have a ghost tale of pain, horror, and love from the ghost's point of view. But first, yes, there is new art, art for the month of May and for mothers everywhere. The Toothy Lady on the Wall is by one Jesper Mirfors. Jesper is a writer, illustrator, and game designer, who has also done a bit of voice work for video games, he says. Much of his art is with the collectible card game Magic the Gathering. With regards to Jesper's writing, he says he has a special love of the very short tale and of stories that are told through letters that allow the reader to read between the lines. He says he started listening to Tales to Terrify about a month ago and loves it, and is burning through back episodes at one or two a night as he goes to bed. I wonder about his dreams. Hmm? Jesper lives in a place called Mercer Island, 
That's in Washington, the state thereof. Mercer Island is in the middle of Lake Washington, between Seattle and Bellevue. Frank Herbert spent his last years there. Local natives apparently believed that the island sank into the lake at night, so, aside from daytime hunting trips, they never went there. Jesper says that when he was growing up, there was a rumor abroad that area residents left the insane members of their family on Mercer Island, so to be drowned during the nightly sinking. Yes, there is a story there. In addition to this piece of art, Jesper has sent us several of his short tales from a series he calls His Lost Letters. He suggests they might provide nice audio crackers, nibbles, as twere, between main courses. Mm -hmm. That's a thought. Thanks, Jesper. Ah, yes. Before we bungle forth into our night of terrors, let me settle you down with another pitch for funds. Now, asking for money doesn't come easily to me, so forgive my hesitation. But if you enjoy coming to the Nook every week, if you enjoy the stories, the articles, the blather, the updates on Mahler, the ink black cat of the Nook, if you enjoy the show or any of the shows out there in the District of Wonders, please, please, please consider going to our website, TalesToTerrify.com, and making a donation. A one-time gift of staggering proportions would be wonderful. A modestly reoccurring gift would also be just spiffy. But we do need your help. We, the authors, the artists, Tony, Cher, Skeet, D, me, all the people who put the show together, we do this for free. But... Others out there in the great chain of being between you and us, they demand money. And money right now is very, very low. So please, support the show. Support Tales to Terrify with a one-time donation or become a monthly subscriber. There, I read that last little bit right off the webpage. So... Click on the buttons. You'll never miss it. Now, let us begin. Tonight, we debut a new segment on Tales to Terrify. Tonight, ghost hunter and horror author Sylvia Schultz, that's S-H-U-L-T-S, will take us with her as she investigates the strange, the weird, the paranormal, the stuff of which literary terrors are fabricated in the real world. I'll let her do the talking, but first, a brief introduction. Sylvia began her fascination with ghosts in childhood. She was an avid reader who was raised on Grimm's fairy tales, the real ones. Her ghost hunting began in 2009 while she was doing research for her nonfiction book, Ghosts of the Illinois River, from Quixote Press. A few years ago, she was inspired to collect and write about people's supernatural experiences 
at the Peoria State Hospital in Bartonville, Illinois. This project quickly swelled into her book, Fractured Spirits, The Hauntings at the Peoria State Hospital. Fractured Spirits incorporates the history of the asylum as well as the many ghost stories that have arisen after the facility was abandoned. To separate fact from fiction, Miss Schultz's book thoroughly examines the history of the hospital, as well as the stories it's generated. I recommend it as a solid exploration of a deeply haunted place. I will now be still. Here is our first chapter of, oh, and I love to say this, Lights Out. Hello, this is Lights Out with Sylvia Schultz. I'm your host, Sylvia Schultz. I've been a paranormal investigator for several years. I've always loved a good true ghost story, but it wasn't until I started doing research for my own nonfiction book that I realized I could be an investigator myself. That first book was Ghosts of the Illinois River, which came out in 2010. I'll tell you more about some of those experiences in later shows. Now, though, I want to introduce you to my favorite haunted place ever. Are you ready to go? Lights out? The Peoria State Hospital in Bartonville is a perfect storm of things that will cause a place to be haunted. The first Europeans in the area, the French at Fort Crevecourt, wrote in their officers' reports that there was a Native American presence at the site that is now Bartonville. Investigators have captured recordings of drumming and snatches of what sounds like Native American speech. In paranormal circles, limestone is considered to be a good indicator of paranormal activity. Limestone is made of the calcified skeletons of microscopic sea creatures compressed over the eons into solid rock. This matrix, formed from once-living organisms, seems to be a good conductor of supernatural energy. The hilltop on which the Peoria State Hospital stands is rich in limestone. The Bowen Building, which we'll be exploring later in the show, was built with limestone blocks from the oldest quarry in the United States. But the most compelling reason that this little corner of Illinois is one of the most haunted places in the world is simply this. The patients at the Peoria State Hospital received excellent care. One of the early superintendents of the asylum, Dr. George Zeller, took charge of the hospital when it was still called the Illinois Asylum for the Incurable Insane. He went to the Illinois Senate and demanded that they change the name to the Peoria State Hospital. His reason? You do not tell my patients they are incurable. I'm here to do just that. George and his wife, Sophie, were childless. The inmates of the asylum were their children. At its height, the asylum comprised 65 buildings. Today, 13 of those buildings remain. Many have been repurposed. The old gymnasium and dance hall is now a country music dance bar. Life goes on. But two of the buildings of the asylum remain much as they were when the state closed the hospital in 1973. The Pollock Hospital, the tuberculosis ward of the asylum, is now owned by the Limestone High School Junior Football League. 
they put on a rock and haunted house every October. The rest of the year, the Pollock is open to investigators. We'll be exploring the Pollock in a later show. During this show, we'll be poking around the Bowen Building. The Bowen was built in 1902 to replace the first building of the asylum. The asylum was originally built on the Kirkbride plan, which is where one big building houses all the inmates of the asylum. This is not ideal. You could be suffering from a bad case of the glums while your roommate was a raving schizophrenic, hardly conducive to regaining mental health. At Bartonville, the Kirkbride building was even less ideal. It was built on top of a coal mine with shoddy material by workmen with connections to the Chicago mob. When Dr. Zeller toured the building before he left to serve in the Spanish-American War, he was unhappy even then with the fact that there was no ventilation in the building. But it was the cracks in the foundation of the brand new building that caused the village board to have the building torn down before a patient even set foot in it. Between 1902 and 1908, the Bowen was used to house criminally insane women. Now, when we say criminally insane, our first thought is that these women were violent. That's not necessarily the case. Back in the day, patients weren't always admitted to an asylum on the advice of a doctor. It was a court and a judge who recommended committal. Many of these women were, perhaps, battered wives who fought back against their abuser, or mothers suffering from postpartum depression who tried to harm their children. The point is, in the six years these women were housed in the Bowen building, there were no reports of violence against either the staff or other patients. And the women were allowed to keep their children with them until the age of four. From 1908 to 1937, the Bowen building was the site of the finest nursing college in the country. At the beginning of the school year, the number of students registered usually exceeded the number of dorm rooms. The overflow students were lodged on cots in the attic. As students dropped out, due to the rigorousness of the training program, the overflow students were moved down from the attic into proper dorm rooms on the lower floors. This arrangement actually gave rise to one of the more charming spirits who called the Bowen home. On October 4, 1915, a housekeeper named Anne M. Stewart fell ill while on the job. She was taken to her room where she slipped into a coma and died a few days later. Anne Stewart may still be going about her housekeeping duties. If you sit very quietly in the attic of the Bowen building, you may, if you're lucky, hear a shuffling around you, the purposeful sounds of someone tidying up. And if you are very lucky, this unseen person will start to sing as she goes about her work. The song she sings to keep herself entertained is always the same. It's Ave Maria. Dr. George Zeller himself passed away in his third-floor apartment in the Bowen in 1938. A few months before his death, in his final illness, he was interviewed by several reporters, who asked him why he didn't go to Peoria for the treatment of his pneumonia. Dr. Zeller answered, Here, I'm surrounded by the finest nurses and the prettiest women in the world. Why would I go anywhere else? From 1937 to 1967, the Bowen Building served solely as living quarters for the nurses. In 1967, the building was remodeled. 
the spacious, airy classrooms and day rooms were sectioned off into cubicles, and it became the administration building. After the asylum closed in 1973, the Bowen became the focus of vandals, and worse. The visibility of the Bowen, sitting all by itself at the top of the hill, became its downfall. Kids bent on destruction focused on the Bowen building. Good for the other buildings that were spared, bad for the Bowen. Paperwork was strewn all over office floors. Windows were broken out. Copper pipes were ripped away. Gurneys, chairs, desks were stolen or just destroyed. Worse even than that, Satanists broke into the building to hold dark ceremonies in the basement, drawn to the creep factor of the morgue. The basement is the most haunted part of the Bowen building, due to the negative energies gathered there by fools who tried to call up energies they couldn't control. I visited the Bowen in October 2011 during an all night ghost hunt on the grounds. At that time, the interior of the building was strictly off limits due to the asbestos, but ghost hunters were allowed free run of the outside. At about midnight, I was standing next to an open window that leads to the boiler room in the basement. Here's what we heard. So, oh, you got a flashlight. I was like, I'm the... You heard that, right? I did, I yes. Did. I heard、oh, that. Right. Oh, it's over in that one. You heard it over there, too? Yeah, no, it was right, right down there. Oh, wait,、here. no, that's not the hallway. There's one that. There's a window there. That came from inside the building.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm holding the flashlight steady. I'm trying not to make any shadows for you. I just want to reach my hand. Can you make that sound for us again? <gasps> no way! Holy crap! <gasps> no freaking way! I heard that from back here. Holy shit! Oh my god. I just got shivers、like, oh, all over my body. It sounded like someone threw a bolt. <gasps> Like a big bolt and just.、Oh. Put your recorder right there. About five minutes later, whatever it was decided to let us know it was still down there. We've been listening at this window for about five minutes or so. The first minute、and、we were here, it sounded like someone threw a bolt. Yeah, someone、really? threw something.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. We. <laughs> You Did you hear that? I heard,、yeah. I, yeah. I heard it all the way over here. Earlier that same evening, I was chatting with a couple of other women at the back of the Bowen building. The thing to remember about this particular October evening was that about 200 people had shown up for this all night ghost hunt. They divided up into four groups, which Rotated between the outside of the Bowen building and the three cemeteries. That weekend was also the first weekend that the Pollock Hospital, about a block away, had started off their haunted infirmary, haunted house. So there were a lot of people in that particular little corner of Bartonville. At about 10 o'clock that evening, I was standing at the back of the Bowen building talking with two other women. Just the three of us standing around talking at that point, no one else around. I had my recorder going to capture stories as people told them to me, but at that particular moment, the three of us were alone, having a conversation. But 
when I listened to the recording later on, I realized that we weren't alone at all. I'll play that for you again. Now, when I listened to the recording later and heard that man's voice underneath our conversation saying, there's too many people here, there's too many people here, my jaw absolutely just hit the table. I was stunned that I'd caught such a wonderful EVP. And I felt really, really bad because I pictured this guy in a hospital robe just wringing his hands in distraction saying, oh, there's too many people here. There's too many people here. (laughs) Just recently, I took a tour of the Bowen. Our guide, Donna, showed us around. We get a lot of activity from the kids in here. That's why all the toys are sitting around, so beware. There are balls and cars and... Wow, all balls are over in the corner. That's weird. Are they usually scattered around? Uh, last night they were everywhere. Fun. Here. We, were, we were playing with them. Uh-huh. And this is the corner where they like to come and sing. We really? had one group, this girl started to sing Rosie, and Jerry caught on his EVP a weird voice singing along with her. Well, we went to the basement first and spent a bit of time in the morgue. I'm sure they're all over the top of this hill, I'm they had to seal most of them up because with the nowadays vehicles, the big SUVs and trucks, because yeah. they got a big trucking company right across the road over there, and they drive those semis, so you can't take those over tunnels. They fall in, yeah. so they've filled them all in and closed them all off because people have climbed in them and froze to death over the winter, and yeah. kids have gotten lost in them, Yeah. so... There was a weird mist coming up out of it last night. I mean, I know the temperature was changing with the wind and all last night. But usually you can see the steps that go down. Uh And last night you couldn't Hmm. because there was such a heavy mist in there. Oh, wow. And I I know it's probably full of water, too, to tell you the God's honest truth because of all the rain. They're remodeling the 60s. They built the new stairs down there. Oh, okay. If you look at the wall, you can see where the handrail left the imprint on the brick or the paint or something did. That there would be the switchboard room. Oh. 66 buildings. They had to have a lot of phones. Yeah. Huh. Most of it has gotten scrapped, of course, because of all the copper wires and stuff in them. But there's a few still hanging on the wall. Sure. Donna was one of the kids who used to go exploring in the Bowen. She had her own opinions, though, on the vandalism that went on there. Every time I ever, when I got brought over here when I was a teenager, high school, and teen, because everybody wanted to get scared. <laughs> yeah. 
I was like, I'll make you one condition if you guys don't mess nothing else up. Because I already knew what it looked like. Yeah. There's like an inch of mud over there, so yeah, be careful. Yeah. And they listened to me, so they didn't graffiti or nothing. Because I told them, I said, if you do, I'll, I'll leave and I'll call the cops on you. Yeah. Because <laughs> you couldn't get in trouble for breaking and entering at that point because there was no doors or nothing to break into. Yeah. Sure. They had already fallen in and gotten broken, mm-hmm. so. But I wasn't going to be part of the vandalism. Nah, yeah. As we went to different floors of the building, Donna told us about experiences volunteers have had in the halls and rooms of this abandoned place. So do any of the spirits in here, um, Sarah and the kids and uh, the white lady, do any of them come out during the day or is it just in the evening? Oh, no. We've caught things during the day, too. Really? Yeah. We've had people. Now, if you see anything, you'd let us know, right? <laughs> Well, we, <laughs> we've passed a few. They like to stand just on the other side of that doorway for some oh, reason. Oh, have we, have we passed them and you... Tonight? Today, I mean today, this afternoon? Why didn't you say anything? You don't Goofy? get goose pimples or nothing? No. And we're not sure. We, we, we still haven't figured it out. We hear lots of things in here, though, because on the other side of it is our little closet that we keep our spare t-shirts and books and stuff in. Yeah. And we often hear things in here. And it looks like the old staircase ran down there. Yes, it does. See the railing? Uh It do. Marks the railing. Yeah. Well, that would explain the footsteps we hear. It would. And we hear voices through the walls. And like this, you know, shuffling of feet. Hmm. And it's like, who's in there? And then we'll open up the closet door and there'll be nobody in the closet door and we'll go, who's in here? (laughs) (laughs) One night we went in there and it was like 20 degrees colder than the outside part. I mean, I know we keep heaters going, but it shouldn't have been that dramatic. You know what I mean? You can see your breath. And it was like, oh, I'm getting back out of here. (laughs) (laughs) That just didn't feel right. (laughs) Okay. The old piano down in that room. Ah. Several people have heard it play. Richard even heard it play a note one night. Ooh. His very first experience, he said. Yeah, because I know he's famous for not having experience. Stays closed, so there's no running across it of critters or anything because they can't get to the keys. Sure. I'd be very surprised. Yeah, I would be very surprised if any of the... If any of the um, strings were... Well, oh, it's, it's an upright piano, and I guess, yeah, I see it is strong, so it would play after a fashion. That's even in tune. <laughs> how, how long ago had, had this... How, I don't even know who brought it here. Because in this kind of environment, it would go out of tune really, really quickly. That's still fairly well in You said you didn't know who brought it. Was this one? If they restored this completely, I don't think there'd be any ghosts. Oh. You'd be surprised. <laughs> we just come for cleanup. I've been tapped on my shoulder. I heard somebody whisper behind me. I turned around. There was nobody there. I had to leave that room because I just... Yeah. That's cool. Well, well, I mean, I see it now. happens to me. But if it was really, I mean, looking like it did when it was 
really in use? I don't know. We've seen, we've had people that had had full body operations where it just looks like they were going through their daily routine. So I think that imprint I, would still be so. here. Oh, I think so, yeah. I okay. think they put such a strong imprint that it's going to, it's just going to keep replaying. It, there's a gentleman that seems to, I don't know why, but he stays here like this. Oh, poor fella. I don't know if he runs here to hide or... Yeah. Donna just crouched in the corner of the room with her head down in her arms. Several of us come in here and then we'll, we'll, we'll like do a double take, shine our flashlight over there in the corner and go, what is that? And then it's gone. Oof. The Bowen is downright unnerving at night. Your flashlight beam plays off of the walls where paint chips flake and sometimes chunks of plaster have fallen away. Even in the daytime, there's an air of weary melancholy to the place. The vandals have had 40 years to add their graffiti to the walls. Yeah. There's graffiti on the wall saying, I died in this room, 529.98. Uh-huh. <sighs> oh, right there, yeah, okay. If you're crazy like me, call blah, 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 blah. Ask for Bobby. <laughs> Good grief. There's graffiti here on the wall that says, Give me my cookies already, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) The attic is the most peaceful part of the building. On a sunny day, the two big rooms, one at each end of the building, are flooded with natural light. The brick walls give the spacious rooms a hip, cosmopolitan, big-city apartment feel. The graffiti and the crumbling plaster seem worlds away instead of one floor down. I haven't yet heard Anne Stewart singing Ave Maria up there, but every time I go, my fingers are crossed. I did, however, hear someone moving around in an unused stairwell. I wonder where the other group is. Probably down in the basement. Okay. Because I just heard footsteps on the steps there. (laughs) We do quite often. Okay, good. We haven't been using that steps because the old lights and stuff have been falling down. Right. It's like Kyle or somebody put a board up there and knocked some more stuff down, but I don't like the looks of that light fixture myself. (laughs) Yeah. I don't want to wear it. I bonk my head enough. I don't need things falling on it. (laughs) I hope you've enjoyed your visit to the Bowen Building, part of the Peoria State Hospital. For more information, feel free to check out my book, Fractured Spirits, Hauntings at the Peoria State Hospital, available on Amazon, and visit the Fractured Spirits fan page on Facebook. Join me next time when we'll explore another one of the asylum's buildings, the extremely haunted Pollock Hospital. Until then, this is your host, Sylvia Schultz, saying, Lights Out. The Illinois Hospital for the Incurably Insane.
criminally insane women. Well, if those elements do not jumpstart some tales of the ghostly, (laughs) I just don't know. Even if the people involved were not necessarily violent, just ill-treated by husbands, the courts, by society, and so forth. Thank you for braving those halls. You'll have to uh, correct my memory, Sylvia. I can't remember if we first met at the Bishop Hill Writers' Gathering or if, if we made first contact during that weekend when Wayne, Alan, Sally, and you and I blitz the bookstores in and around Peoria to hawk our wares. Or did we meet at Twilight Tales? Now, well. Sylvia's fractured spirits, hauntings at the Peoria State Hospital, is the result of research during which she spoke to dozens of people, people who have had paranormal experiences at the abandoned asylum. She's also done many investigations on her own. I remember one night, for example in a wonderful bar in Bishop Hill, Illinois, as Cecilia and I were about to head back to Chicago, Sylvia and her chums were in their gear and about to take to the trees and the gravestones in the Bishop Hill Cemetery. You might Google that place, by the way. It's got a high creepy factor all its own. Sylvia's research for fractured spirits, as well as Sylvia herself, were featured on the January 30th, 2013 episode of the TV show Ghost Hunters, Prescription for Fear, in which the TAPS team visited Peoria State. Sylvia lives in Illinois with her husband. She works at the Fond du Lac District Library, mostly, she says, in order to feed her book addiction. She also serves as the publicity director for Dark Continents Publishing. In addition to nonfiction, she also writes romance and horror, and is the first to admit there is a fine line between the two. So thanks again, Sylvia. I'm looking forward to next month's Lights Out, everybody. Fiction This weekend, we celebrate Mother's Day, and please... Let me apologize in advance to any and all mothers for the tale I am about to read. It is a ghost story. I wrote it. And before I start, let me warn you, and I truly mean it. This is not a story for the faint of heart and for those of you with natures easily upset by language and by brutality. At the end of the story, I'll play a recording about the genesis of it. I made it several years ago when the story first aired on the starship sofa. I felt at that time that the story needed to be justified by letting the listeners know a little bit about its fetchings. I still believe that. Here it is. Tonight's piece of unfortunately only near fiction. It is a tale about a mother and a little girl down the way.
was dead. Dead and her little body buried in the narrow alley where the rain spout spilled dirty water over crumbling concrete. The burial hadn't been a good job. Part of Aaron, you see, stayed in the basement, the same basement she'd lived in the last few years of her life. Her mommy had always loved her. That's why Aaron was here, because Mommy loved her. It must have been her bad part, Aaron knew, because day after day, all days alike, Aaron slipped back into this small place in the world. Day after day, all alike, she flopped face first into a growling rock grinder of lumpy pain. Each day, she fell, rolling into a sea of boiling doo-doo got flushed, snuffed, and smothered, drowned in thick pee, stinky diarrhea pumping up her nose. Every day, she got tossed, heaved onto the broken Coke bottle rocks of sharp light that caught her, hooked and hung her, held her dangling, slipping by her gently tearing flesh, rip, 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 over the red-hot blazing hole of eternity. That was for eye-openers, and she was already dead. Every dawn she opened a new life and tried to cry. She couldn't. The dead couldn't. All days the same, her eyes didn't have the wet for it. Chest hurt too much to heave into crying. Even dead, she was hungry. Hunger made her stomach swell. Every now and then she caught something, something dead, she felt, scrambling across her face, her arms, scrambling up her legs in the dark. Caught him, sucked him down, slurp... And they were dead things, too, of course. Good the dead could feed the dead. Hmm. Unless she puked, Mommy wouldn't know. Right now, she had mice chunks and a couple hundred squirts of oozy bug down in her belly. There was also most of a sock down there. She'd found the thing a long stretch just outside her dog cage. It must have been from a long, long time ago. Something dropped in a corner, then one day kicked and left near enough for her to reach it. She'd taken it. It was so small, so tiny. Oh, maybe it had been her brother's. Oh, 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 the babies. She held it for a while, loving it, touching her face with it. Finally, she took it a few threads at a time, soaked in her own dripping nose-blood, and let them trickle down her throat until it was all gone. That was long ago. There were other things, a few dirty things down inside her, but not a lot, not so much mommy'd care. What she fed on, she slurped. Jaw wouldn't let her chew. When she'd been alive, jaw wouldn't let her cry, either. When she tried to whimper, Jaw made her feel like she was swallowing sharp pieces of herself. Jaw, she counted with her tongue, one, two, three, four, four places Jaw was broken. Tongue could touch and gently shift the broken ends of bone beneath the skin, could hear it great, 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 and make the shivering hot chill chatter all through her head. When she did it, when she moved her bones like that, her shattered teeth bit, 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 the swelling lips, shredded cheeks, and gnawed on tongue. Jaw punished her. Jaw that lived in her head and hurt so much. Jaw that minded her for Mommy. Mommy had made Jaw. 
from the parts of her mouth that used to sit in her head and chew and talk and hold her teeth. Wham! 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 And there was Jaw. That'll show me, she'd say to herself as Jaw snapped, nyang, 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 down hard and pointy on all the soft places in her mouth. That'll show, Mommy, she'd say as each bite slammed a hammerful of agony against the back of her eyeballs. See, Mommy, she'd say very, very quietly and very, very fast. That'll show me, that'll show me, that'll show me, she whispered it aloud. Maybe Mommy'd hear and like her more. She'd think it to herself, and maybe Mommy wouldn't hear and wouldn't hate her more. Jaw watched and minded for Mommy. Even when she died, Jaw watched Aaron for Mommy. None of it, none of the pain, none of the fear, none of the missing Mommy helped her cry, though because she was dead, and the dead don't cry. Except for not being able to cry, being dead wasn't so bad. She'd hung on so to being alive. Mommy was right. She was a stupid bitch. And when it finally swallowed her, death was just the same as life. Same basement, same mommy, same pains. What had she been so scared of? She was still safe down there, she just hadn't known. When she'd been alive, she couldn't eat. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Not the last few weeks. Once when the cellar window had been left open in a dark wind just to air the stink out of the goddamn place for Jesus' sake, and the rains had splashed down so hard the mud had spattered and flowed in thick poopy dribs down the wall, she'd caught some of it and sucked it down, and the mud was so cool on her lips, so gritty. She could swallow it so smooth, and it felt full and heavy in her tummy. And Mommy didn't like that, though. She found out, and she didn't like that. Today, Aaron puked a little snot, and, oh, that hurt. The hundred little dwarves she imagined were inside her, inside her everywhere, started scraping, rough, 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 like that, and got to kicking, kicking her with hard, sharp feet, wham, 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 like that. 
They grab parts of her inside, her heart, her tummy, lungs, bones, and throat. They pulled and bent and hung. They stretched and bit and tore on things and made her hurt like she couldn't believe. They jabbed her with knives and fire and ran electricity through her. She'd always hated the numb, chattery way of electricity, the way it made her go all loose and poopy when Mommy'd run electricity through her, the way it made her go slam, go wham, back into the floor or against the wall, her head going boom, boom, boom. The bad dwarves that lived in her had it all. Fire, knives, and electric pain, just like Mommy, only inside of her. And when she yelled, it was a little silent scream only. She could hear it, and that's what counted. Her broken bits poked her here, there, and everywhere, tore out of her cheek, her side, her arm. Bloody stuff ran out of her poopy hole, but she screeched it to herself. She knew how much Mommy hated, just hated that, when the bones showed sticking out. But she couldn't, really, really couldn't shove the blood-red pointy things back inside again, not again, not and keep the screaming to herself. So there she sat, forcing herself still, forcing her mouth to stop moving. Aaron made it stop working against the jagged, bony things sticking out of her face the last couple of weeks, months, years. She sat still. She remembered. Mommy didn't like a noise from her in the morning. And she forced the silence of the grave over everything, willing herself to be dead again today as she had every day for weeks, months, years. Even dead, she needed to breathe. Short pants did it. Deep breath hurt too much, made funny cracking pains inside. Little breaths, a lot of them, worked almost as good and didn't hurt near as much. She took her first little sniffs of that day. And with that accomplished, morning was underway. Every now and then she knew a little light. A haze would drift through her like white air, and it hurt in a different way than the memory of life and the reality of this place, this, this heaven, was it? In the silent place she kept around her, she still stank. In the thank-the-Jesus dark, she still stank while she waited to be all the way dead again later, later, at night, maybe it was, when she was really dead. Like being asleep when she'd been alive, but when she was awake, she stank. She felt the stinky dress still hanging on her. Oh, it was still there. She still wore the dress she'd worn for weeks, months, years, the dress Mommy'd given her. The same old new dress from the Sears that she wore forever, that she was buried in. It was all dirty now, all covered in poop and pee and the bad stuff like the snot she'd just puked through her bloody mouth. She remembered. Remember the time when Mommy had come to see her and had seen, What the fuck you done to that? Mommy had seen the Jesus Christ I paid good goddamn money for that and look what you done to it. That dress. Now and then... A living person would come, come to the basement, would turn on the light upstairs, and Aaron would squint against the glass shards the hanging bulbs sprayed through her like melted metal from a garden hose. That hurt. The light did, but different from the day by day. Whap, bam, boom, bang. Mommy'd bring her later, later in remembering. 
With the light, the person would move across the basement. It would do those things the living did, and when the person left, sometimes he'd leave the light bulb on, and it would boil her away, day and night, until somebody remembered to turn it off. Sometimes the living person would look scared, would hug himself and sniff like he smelled her stinkiness all the way from the grave down by the rain spout. When this happened, the live one would move quickly, get done what had to be done, finish it, then trot up the steps, slam the door, leave a silence and a chill behind as the lamp swung back and forth, back and forth, back and forth in the dark. It was hard to see the living, but Aaron did like when they came. They were no more than a vapor, hard to see, impossible to touch. She could barely tell if these living ones were boys or girls, big people or kids. She had no idea what the living did, why they did it. Even when she'd been alive, she didn't know. Now, <laughs> every now and then, one of them walked right through her and dragged little pieces of her back upstairs, maybe stuck to their shoe or soaked into the hem of a skirt or caught like a burr on a pants leg. That little piece of Aaron would move with the living up in the day and the light. She'd feel the outside day just a little like a splendid single note of a really pretty song, a note that faded, whitened, died, and then crawled back to her dirty, dark, and stinky basement to her while she slept. When she awoke another day, that little piece of her was sticking out of her, just a tiny part of that day's pain. Well, that's how she thought of it, anyway. Every now and then, something so alive would scream past the high, narrow window that looked outside. Kids, small legs and shrill voices, kids, like her little baby brother had been. As with all the living, she could hardly see these children, but they, they made her basement vibrate. And when they did, they made her remember. She remembered back to before she'd come here, remembered to when her little brother had first come home. The baby so sweet, not like her, no. She'd seen little baby sleeping dearly, and all the world was quiet around him. He slept so sweet. She went on tippy-toes to him, to baby brother. She leaned over and kissed his cheek. He smelled like milk. His cheek felt so warm and like, like something soft she wanted to taste, like something she'd remembered from long ago, and she wanted now to taste him. But all she did, all she ever did, was kiss his head and kiss his nose and kiss his cheek. And then Mommy grabbed her by her arm, swung her around and around and smacked her on the wall, picked her up and told her, good thing she'd come before she dropped, baby. Even though she promised, promised Mommy never to come near Baby again, that was it. Mommy had had it with her. She was planning to send her to school next year. Was, but not now. She was going to let her outside, but not now. She was going to let her have friends, but no, not, not, not now. And she whomped her again on the wall, and her arm bone, all sharp and white, came through the skin, made a mess, a goddamn mess. Then she went to live in the basement. And it was a long long time till she saw Baby again. She almost didn't know him. He was almost as big as she was, and he flickered by the window. His little legs flew by, a blur, but somehow she felt him pass. She shoved as close to the light as the dog cage let her. She squeezed her face against the cold metal. She could see one piece of sky and the wall of the house next door. 
The day was bright because a puddle of light soaked the floor by her and caught the corner of her cage. The heat of the beam licked her face. Then the legs thudded past again, and she almost felt the wind of their going. Like thunder, like a pounding pain, they ran. And after a moment of silence, and all of a sudden, there was a face at the window. It flashed into one corner of the frame and clipped off her measure of sky. Her brother's little face blocked most of the light and his shadow fell across her. She felt the cool of his shadow and could almost smell the memory of his cheek, but he was so big now. She stared at the giant baby, him and his eyes. Oh, his eyes were so black in his big round head. His eyes got so wide, and he shaded them with both his sweet little hands. She stunk. He yelled and yelled, and in a moment he was whipped up and out of the frame. Then there was Mommy, and Aaron skittered into the dark corner of the cage, and no, 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 she knew she'd hurt. She knew she wouldn't know why the fucking Jesus Christ, why she's so goddamn bad. Why was she so... She could feel it all now. This was when she was still alive, back when she was the rat in the basement. Mommy told her that was what she was, to her, to Baby. The big, bad rat in the basement is what Baby called her. Even after Mommy'd punished her for letting Baby see her, she'd remember back to when Baby had first come home and she had touched him with her lips. She remembered back to the time when she had first, and for the only time, felt the cool life of his shadow cross her eyes. Ever after that, once a week maybe, just once a week she'd touch her own hand to her lip and close her eyes for a moment trying to imagine it was baby's hand she kissed. A long, long time later, the door to the cellar opened, and it wasn't Mommy. She'd been sitting. That's what she did most days. Then the cellar door opened, and she scooted over by the cage door so Mommy didn't have to get down and crawl to catch hold of her. For Jesus' sake! The cellar door opened, and nothing happened. A foot sounded on the stair, but the light didn't come on. In a little while, the foot stepped on the squeaky tread. It didn't squeak like when Mommy stepped on it. No, it squeaked different. It was gray outside, and the world didn't make much light around her, but in the shadow she saw a small person, and she covered herself with her piece of blanket. Come out, the voice of the small person said. I see you. Come out. She peeked. The small person was near the cage. He was bigger than she was, but she knew he was baby, baby alone. She slipped her head out of the blanket and looked at him. A beam of yellow light smacked her dead on the eyeballs. It felt like a toothache exploding in her whole face. She screamed, and her voice scared her. It sounded like nothing she'd ever heard. It was just her, but it was a ghost. A monster, a rat in the basement, and she was screaming out of fear of herself. Then he was screaming, and the light fell from his hands and rolled on the floor. He ran, he clambered up the steps one at a time, and the wooden door above slammed. She screamed for a few minutes. Through baby banging on the door above and his screaming and crying, she screamed into the silence that followed. She screamed for a little, then she was quiet again because she knew Mommy'd come. 
Mommy came later that night, and that was the last day she lived. Before Mommy got into her, Aaron began whispering to her, telling her she was really bad and she would never make another sound again. She wouldn't really, really, she wouldn't. She didn't sit by the door of the cage this time. She drew as far away from it as she could. She knew it was bad, but she was afraid. Mommy was quiet coming. She wasn't saying, Jesus' sake and fucking Christ and goddamn little rat. She walked down and picked up the flashlight that had gone dead on the floor and the couple hours since Baby had been down to see where the rat lived. She clicked the dead flashlight and put it behind her on the bench. She came to the cage and unlocked the gate. She got down on her knees and hands and reached inside... Aaron pressed against the farthest corner, saying, No, Mommy, no, Mommy, no, Mommy, no, Mommy. But Mommy squeezed further and further in, caught hold by her leg, and drew Aaron forth. Aaron whimpered. She whispered, No, 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 no. She would never, ever, ever, ever say anything again. Mommy picked her up. She looked at her. Mommy was so big, so much bigger every day, and now she was the biggest thing in all the world, and Mommy put her hands around Aaron's middle, and pressed. Aaron took a last breath and tasted Mommy's perfume and said, No, no, no. Then Mommy pressed more and more, and Aaron felt herself break inside, felt herself crack in on herself, felt sharp things stab her and stab her. Then she couldn't breathe, not even a little, and in a short time, Held close to Mommy, in Mommy's hands, she died. That wasn't too bad, Aaron remembered. There had been worse. When she'd spilled on the new dress from the Sears, that had been worse. That had been a day, a whap, 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 picked up by the feet and spun day. A wee at her face went wham, bong, against the metal pole that held up the house from down in the basement day. That day, Mommy dropped her. The little fucker, Mommy called her, crawl out on me, will you? She said, then she shoved a newspaper down her throat until she nearly choked. And you'll wear that thing until you wear it out, Mommy said, letting her go, letting her pull the paper out of her own mouth. Mommy sat on her for a little while and hit her with a piece of coal from the bin. She hoped that showed her, Mommy said. She'd have to learn, Mommy said, and hit her. Learn to take care of things, I give you, and hit her. Cost good money, these things, and hit her. She'd wear that dress and hit her. Wear that fucking dress until Christ Jesus took it off her. Oh, the dress was a wreck after that, and Mommy left jaw to watch out what she did down there. Then Mommy was gone. The door slammed. And she didn't eat ever after. She didn't make any more fuss after that. Now that, that was a day. Except baby'd come down and she screamed and mommy came and Aaron died. That was another day. Mommy'd taken her body and put it outside with the trash, she said. Nobody knew. Nobody had known she ever was, much less knew now that she wasn't. Aaron stayed in the basement. After a while, she got used to being dead. Sometime later, people came, living people whom she could hardly see. They took all the things out of the basement. They took the dog cage, and Aaron had no place to be. In a little bit, Mommy came down and stood in the dark. She looked around. Aaron wanted to cry, but the dead didn't do that. Mommy looked so beautiful.
She was dressed for going. Aaron knew it. Mommy looked around the empty basement, and finally, as though she'd found Aaron after looking long and hard, looked right at her baby. You better stay right here, young lady, Mommy said. You stay here, or I'll be back for you. You hear? And Mommy was gone. How long ago? Now every day, all days alike, Aaron came into the world and sat in the pain and waited. The basement filled, then it emptied. More people came, more things went. One day, the basement was gone. Big machines rumbled through. The house fell. The machines rolled right through her. She felt the light pound down. Dirt filled her, and she rose to the surface. All her pains remained. Pieces of her hung to the iron, to the men who walked right through her in daylight. She watched as her body was unearthed. She watched and waited as people came and looked. She watched, sitting as close as she could to where the little dog cage had been, as people lifted her from the ground and put her in a bag. Bye-bye, she said as her body went away. Bye-bye. Night. She waited. Day. The living came with more machines and built. They dug out her basement again, and she found the old spot where she'd lived and waited all the years for Mommy. Days went along, all days alike. The new basement was bright. The ceiling was white and smooth. Bright tube lights lit the place. The living came and went. They all passed through her like light through a window. And then, one night, Mommy came. Aaron didn't recognize Mommy when she came back. First, she was old, really old. She was stick-thin now, and her skin hung in spotty folds. Her nose was like a hook, thin skin over bone. Her beautiful green eyes were milk, milk-cloudy marbles bulging from her pointy face. Oh, oh, and her hair, her hair was stringy gray. Mommy'd never been like this. Mommy was always nice and pretty. Mommy'd always loved her hair, her thick red hair, and would never, ever let it go like that. Mommy was acting funny, too. She was scared. Mommy was never scared. Her eyes were big. Mommy's eyes were always steady and cool. When she got mad, her green eyes went dark and got squinty, but Aaron had never, ever seen them wide like this, nobody was with them here in the basement, but Mommy was struggling, fighting against something, and she was losing the fight. Mommy never lost a fight. That was funny, and Aaron almost laughed. Somebody forcing Mommy? Despite her fear, Aaron giggled just a little. Mommy screamed, not words, but a jagged something pouring out of her, hurting her really bad. The giggle dried up in Aaron. She hid in the dark corner where the dog cage had been. The new basement was different now, but she knew where it had been all these years. It felt so good to be in this place again with Mommy. After the scream, Mommy didn't say a word, not one word. And that was not like her either. Aaron heard little noises crawling around down inside her Mommy. Little crying snuffles and gulps burped out of her. Mommy came forward, dragged, shoved, pushed, one shaking foot at a time, not on her own. Aaron wanted to go to her to help her, but she couldn't. She just couldn't. Oh, Mommy. Tears formed in the eyes of the little dead girl. Tears she'd not been able to shed 
since her death. As Mommy wobbled toward her, the thin moonlight from the new window cut right through her. It didn't make her any brighter. It cut right through her, and she staggered on. But when she got to the place where the old light bulb had hung overhead for so many years, a hard streak of yellow light poured across Mommy's face. It made Mommy look so hard and solid. Oh, Mommy is dead. Aaron knew. Aaron looked, and oh my, dissolving into being above Mommy, there was the bulb, there was the electric wire, there was the old ceiling, the boards and beams and pipes, it all faded into being above Mommy and spread out across them both, spread across to the corners, then down, down the old walls. The old walls flowed down from where the ceiling ended, ran down like spilled honey, oozing, covering... And Aaron remembered, remembered it all. Oh, Mommy was mad when she had spilled honey at breakfast. Mommy had showed her, face pressed to the pancake griddle, showed her she never spilled that goddamn honey again. No, sir. The old basement reached the floor and crept across the new concrete under Mommy's feet. The change washed over to where Aaron cuddled with the corner's darkness. It rippled under her feet, and when she looked again, there it was, all the same. Home. Everything as it always had been and was always meant to be, like loving arms, the cage spread up and around Aaron, embraced her in its cool metal bars. Aaron peeked between the fingers she held over her eyes. Beyond the cage, there was Mommy, and she was, oh, God, so real and solid, just like always. Before her, Mommy was growing younger and younger. The red seeped through her gray hairs that hung like old weeds from Mommy's head, and in a few moments it was as Aaron had remembered it. The thin body filled became round and firm. Her face molded itself like clay. Into the old shapes, her nose became less like a sunken beak and stretched into the nose Aaron had always loved. The wrinkles around her eyes, above her lips, the loose skin tightened across the bones. She was getting younger and growing pretty all over again. There were crunches now coming from Mommy, like twigs breaking, like little bones snapping. Aaron knew those sounds. And also, there were slurpy squishes as beauty blew her up like a beautiful, big, full Mommy balloon. Mommy screamed all the while. Then, then it was done. All done, all done, and Mommy stopped screaming forever. The dead didn't scream. Had Aaron been a bad little fucker again? She wasn't sure. Mommy was hurting, and when Mommy hurt, it was Aaron's fault, that dirty little cunt. Mommy stood under the old yellow bulb. Aaron skittered toward the cage door. Aaron remembered what Mommy'd done the last time she'd come looking and her bad little bastard had tried to keep away. Aaron skittered and waited by the door, waited for Mommy. I was good, Mommy, Aaron tried to say. Her mouth was all broken, though, so she could only whisper, I was good. I was good. I waited. Mommy tried to scream but couldn't. Above her gurgles came the sound of tearing cloth. Swish, swish, rip, rip, rip. Mommy's beautiful blouse, her skirt, everything shredded and flew to pieces around her, and she stood naked under the bulb. Mommy's pretty little titties were now all big and sagging full. Her belly was swelling, just like before Baby had come. Oh, Mommy's going to bring home another baby. Aaron just knew it. She hoped... 
this time she'd be allowed to hold baby and kiss him and give baby his bottle. Now that she was dead and now that mommy knew what a good girl she could be. But the invisible people dragged one of mommy's feet forward, then the other, then the first. They walked her like a rag doll, a beautiful, beautiful, big rag doll toward the cage in the corner. Mommy pressed back as if leaning against the people who weren't there, the ones who were dancing her out of the light and toward the cage. Her titties flopped and her hairy, dirty parts went open and shut, open and shut, open and shut as her legs moved into the shadows. Then wham! Mommy slammed to her knees in front of Aaron. The invisibles shoved her face down on top of the cage. Mommy looked big-eyed down on Aaron from overhead. Mommy made that strangled little gulping, burping sound again as her bones and skin tried to flow around and through the bars. Her titties pressed against the cage door right at Aaron's face. And they were so pretty, so warm and soft, so rich-looking. Aaron wanted Mommy to stop hurting, wanted the invisibles to stop making Mommy hurt. She reached out and touched Mommy's breast. Mommy moaned, and the breast strained against the wire bars. The brown titty tip grew firm, swelled. It reached toward Aaron. Mommy tried to scream. No! Aaron yelled in her dusty whisper. Don't hurt, Mommy! Aaron leaned forward and pressed her lips against the straining titty, and oh, It felt so good to touch Mommy with her burning mouth. The nipple slipped so easy in between her shredded lips. Aaron's jagged teeth massaged her Mommy's flesh, and oh, her Mommy flowed, flowed so warm and sweet and thick into her. The Mommy milk surrounded her thickened tongue, the broken palate, the shreds of cheeks. Aaron closed her eyes. It felt so good to suckle there again. She remembered that. That's what she did, the little girl who was dead. She remembered. She remembered this very nipple so many years ago. She remembered Mommy's hands supporting her heavy little head, cradling her body against her Mommy warmth and Mommy smell. Now, Aaron's twisted little claws reached out for the warm, fragrant breast. They closed softly around it. Oh, and it seemed so right for them to be there, the broken little fingers. Aaron wasn't aware, but now she leaned back. Mommy and her breast came with her. The little girl drew Mommy through the bars. The cold steel tore through the ghostly flesh, sending electric fires through every dead organ of Mommy's body. She tried to scream, but being dead, she couldn't. Finally, the steel bars flowed through her, and Mommy was in the cage with her little girl. To Aaron, the titty had a will of its own, knowing how to feed and comfort her. Her mouth bubbled with good warm milk, soothing, easing every part that ever hurt. Soon Mommy's arms embraced her once again. She felt herself grow smaller and smaller, and that felt so good. Aaron's eyes were shut now. Through her lids, the light bulb was all red and sparkly black with flashing light. Soon those lights went away and all was darkness. She felt mother heaving under her, but that was all right. She felt her mother might be screaming, but no, both were dead now and wasn't that nice. Both of the mother, daughter, dead together. All the oozy dead things in her belly, mouse chunks and the thick jellies she'd sucked from the bugs that had crawled over her in the dark, all the nose snot she'd sucked, all the dirt, the mud, the pieces of herself, the bone bits and teeth parts, the little baby sock she'd taken one thread at a time, all that now flowed from her. 
And when it started to come, it burned a little, but then the hurting stopped. It flowed and flowed and flowed from her, from her every part. And for a moment, Aaron worried that the stuff had gotten on Mommy. Then she stopped worrying. If it had, Mommy would have let her sure as shit know about it. And when it stopped, Aaron was clean inside. Just Mommy's sweet, sweet milk still streamed into her from that pretty, pretty titty. Mommy went stiff and then started bucking like a wild thing. Aaron's eyes stayed shut, and she soothed her with her little hands and mouth. Mommy's dead. Mommy's dead. Aaron said quietly to the invisibles, making Mommy do these dumb and twitchy things. She can't cry. Don't make her cry. Aaron was still hungry. Aaron got smaller. She felt herself snuggle so close and warm to Mommy. Mommy's flesh felt so nice and soft and warm. Erin pressed her mouth fully against the big, big nipple. Then she flowed inside. She flowed inside her Mommy where it was all dark and soft and warm and smelled so like food and goodness. Erin lay her head on some softness in the dark. It was so easy. It didn't hurt to breathe anymore because she didn't have to breathe. Mommy did it for her. Erin sighed so sweet and felt her mother try to scream again. No, no, Mommy. It's okay. We're good. We're good. Even then, Erin was hungry. A good hungry because food was there. She pressed her mouth to the fragrant Mommy flesh by her cheek and she kissed it, kissed it and licked it. And with the kiss, she felt her belly fill. It felt so much better. Later, she'd eat and eat and eat some more, eat until forever was over. Mommy tried to scream. No, no, Mommy, we're together now, and this is heaven. Mommy tried to scream. Aaron had always loved her, Mommy. That's why Aaron was here for her now, because she loved her, Mommy. Mommy tried to scream. Aaron slept. Soon she'd be awake, and the rest of forever could begin. Sometimes I write out of a passion, anger, fear, sorrow, hatred, all of them. These pieces are frequently harsh. Many times they're cruel. I call them my vile tales. There are quite a few of these tales by now, and they're often written in great haste, flowing onto the screen as fast as I can tap the things out and as fast as I can think them. They typically begin with a person in crisis, and sometimes it comes from people who survive in the wake of that crisis. Little girl down the way comes from another place. Here's where the sorrow and the anger came from in this story. I live on the north side of Chicago. It's an area called Wrigleyville. Wrigley Field, where the Chicago Cubs play, is three blocks away. During the rest of the year, Wrigleyville is just a place where the overcompensated come to hoot and puke. But for the last decade, Wrigleyville has undergone a transformation that's been relatively unprecedented in my memory. 
People with far too much money and far too little imagination have moved in. They came here because this was a place they had loved when they were in college, a place to get drunk, to get laid, to piss in the alleys. Now they came back to live and have said, well, we can't have all this. They're not the source of my passion about little girl. The malignancy that came with yuppie infiltration was this. The old three-story frame houses were dissolving, disappearing literally overnight, and newly, cheaply built, vastly pricey, tall, narrow, faux-brick condos were rising in their place. It's a form of urban cancer that destroys our collective memory while giving us a glimpse of mid-21st century slums-to-be. But this isn't where my passion that formed this tale comes from, either. About ten years ago, I was driving up the alley, past the site of a demolition, Where an old garage had been yesterday was now a muddy stew. The site was surrounded by rebar jammed into the dirt and into the cracks in the alley cement. But the rebar was threaded with yellow crime scene tape, stuff we've all seen in movies. Wandering around were the usual crime scene people, police, paramedics, plain clothes, bureaucrats, photographers, rubberneckers. I found later that the demolishers had uncovered the bones of a small body near the end of the walkway from the old house to the alley. The corpse was that of what was presumed to have been about a two- to three-year-old girl. That was pretty much it, for them, an old, sad tale. About three years later, the story oozed into the papers. Chicago Homicide had not given up on the case, had worked to find information about that former occupant of the house, and generally had done their work. They speak for the dead. A yeoman task, when you consider that the victim the murder police had to speak for in this case was about 50 years into her particular portion of eternity. Finally, no big splash, just a page five news item, a woman in Nebraska confessed to having killed her child in Chicago in this place, now gone, in the late 1950s. The details were scant, but moving by the bareness of their bones. The woman had been identified and been found in a Nebraska hospital, dying of congestive heart failure. She confessed to having given birth to the little girl in the late 1940s, and virtually from the first had kept her a secret from the world. Reasons? No reasons. How could there be? Or... If there were a reason or reasons it probably derived from from some unrecognizable form of love. When the mother became pregnant again, she kept the little girl locked in the basement. Again, love of some unimaginable species. While the remains found just down the way from my apartment seemed to have been those of a very young child, the girl had actually survived to about seven years and was murdered by the mother maybe in a rage, maybe not. Having confessed, the woman died. The son that had been that second child was surprised to find out that he had had a sister and that they had shared that house until he was three or four years old when he and his mother had just packed up and moved. The view from my home office window in our second-floor back porch is down that alley. The burial site is less than a 100 feet from my back gate. I wasn't living in Chicago when the crime took place. I was just a kid then, a reasonably well-adjusted, all-too-coddled kid growing up happy and not in Reading, Pennsylvania. I don't know what I was doing when the 20-pound, seven-year-old became a corpse. 
But I shared a back alley with the little girl for several years in my adulthood, and that view from my window down the way and the changing shape of the neighborhood always made me feel somehow connected. We were neighbors, I guess. Well, I grew up in a small town. I put it aside for a long time. I've read it publicly a few times in Chicago at a place called Twilight Tales at a world horror convention some years back. It's got problems, I know. It's too long. It rambles. But it's one of those things I won't fuss with. The little girl is complete. Her story is told. The Chicago police have spoken for her. The little girl down the way is a ghost story that posits the not very original notion that heaven and hell can be the same place, depending on who you are. And it's probably about love in some form or another. Finally, an editor asked me for it, and it was published in early 2008 in an anthology of tales by Midwestern writers of the dark called Hell in the Heartland. As I say, it's not a story for enjoyment, but it's a story that I hope touches you. Her story still touches me. But maybe, uh, maybe it'll get you up and moving around the room sometime. That at least. All the best from Larry Santoro here in Chicago. If I sound somewhat different there, it's because both the story and the afterward were recorded, oh, many years ago. In fact, I believe that Little Girl Down the Way was one of the first stories I ever recorded. Certainly the first of my stories. Anyway, I want to apologize again. If you've heard this one before on the Starship, people tell me, well, how do you say this? That they appreciate Little Girl Down the Way, that it stirs, that it angers them, but like it? No, I don't expect that. But I did want to share it with you visitors here in the nook. Part of me wants to do something wacky now, to play some funny little bit, uh, an amusement just to clear your palates for the walk home. I won't. But I do hope you will have a pleasant walk in the chilly, drear, drizzly night and that you'll think about the tale you just heard. Too often we see or hear of things that are too like it. So, this Sunday, I hope you'll hug your mother and never mention where you've been tonight. And when you get home, I hope you'll hug your children or at least watch them as they sleep and that you hope that they are having very pleasant dreams. Mm -hmm. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not 
not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.